Osiris. Hey guys, it's Dave and Brian. Yo. Before we get started with the episode, wanted to tell you about a bit going on in the Osiris world here as we are wrapping up summer tour and moving into Curveball. So just a quick reminder, if you guys haven't been listening to the Helping Friendly Pods Quick Hits, they're a great way to get a quick synopsis of what was happening during the shows, as well as uh, what the lot scene's like, what's the, what the vibe is like at the venue. So just running through what we've had here for the last eight shows of tour. So Alpharetta Night 1, Arthur at Sync Funk reviewed one of the, probably the best show of summer. We'll get into that. Alpharetta 2 is reviewed by Mark at Run Like a Lope with a couple spaces in between there. Alpharetta 3 was reviewed by David. Really fun Sunday show there. Moving up north, moving up north to Camden, we had Friend of the Pod, Seth Eisenstein at Socks and Strikeouts review a really great show upon re-listen. Uh, Camden Night 2, Chris Weaver of NFL Films at Weaver NFLF reviewed a uh, pretty fun little show that Dave was at. Um, Raleigh, Wild Wild Raleigh show was reviewed by Dan Edwards at D Fly Fish Ski. Fun little mouthful uh, handle there, Dan. And then MPP Night 1, show that Dave and I have a lot of opinions on, was reviewed by RJ and Matt talking about the ups and downs of a hometown show. And uh, it's not posted yet, but it's coming here in the next uh, day or so, um, as of recording, I should say. MPP Night 2, Heater Sunday Night Show, HF Pods reviewing the three prize that uh, was a ton of fun. And the Osiris Podcast Network is going to be a curveball, brought to you by Relics Magazine. We're going to do a little pre-show Friday and Sunday at Curveball from about 4 to 5 p.m., Hashtag Couch Report. We'll put the link in the show notes and Twitter. There's also there's going to be a Relics Happy Hour from Friday from 5:30 to 6:30. Come by, get an Osiris koozie, see some of your favorite podcast folk. Also have a chance to play the game Market Price with the host of the Female Centrics Pod. That's going to be going on throughout the weekend on Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. There's going to be the Osiris Sixer Mixer. That is what you think it is. Bring some beer cans, trade some beer cans. Also, from Sunday from 5.30 to 6, is going to be the Music Empowering Women Sparkle Photo Shoot. I think you'll probably be hearing more about that when you get to Curveball at a place to be determined. And one last reminder for you guys as we move into Curveball and have our sights set on dicks in, uh, right afterwards. Six more shows to uh, be a champion of Lure Social. We've been playing all summer. Highest we got was 11th place. I think that was for Camden Night 2. Came in real strong there. Um, But it's a ton of fun. Bring your friends in. Compete against the entire community. Pick the set list. Pick your bust out. Pick your rotations. uh, Pick your long jams. Lots and lots of fun. Great way to uh, play along as Fish tours the country. And on that... Let's go beyond the pond.
Brooks and David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode 42 of Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself generally use the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. Introduction of sorts. These are usually non-jam bands because we love Fish. We are very much Fish fans. But sometimes the problem with Fish fans is that's all they listen to. There's a whole world of other music out there, other shows to go to, other people to see. I know Fish themselves listen to other bands. We want you to do the same. Absolutely. And uh, you guys have joined us for the third installment of our summer 2018 overview. We started in episode 40 covering Tahoe through the Gorge. Episode 41, San Francisco through Austin. And here in episode 42, we are going over Alpharetta, Camden, Raleigh, and Meriwether Post. And we're doing something special for you guys. Big time fans of the pod will remember an episode back in February of this year. Episode number 27, Fish Pandora. We took four different fish jams and spun off Pandora playlists for you all. We're going to be doing that here with a jam from Alpharetta, Camden, Raleigh, and MPP, and a little tiny playlist thematically uh, spun off of these songs or these jams um, that should give you guys some great insight both into the tour, what our thoughts of it are, as well as some of the music that we found connected with it. Some of the themes of this episode that we're going to talk about include disjointed post-peak jamming, the Tulsa, Oklahoma fish sound, the most fun, not the best, who cares, and light your candles, get that patchouli-scented incense ready, we're talking about fish makeup sex. And on that note, let's get to the fish. Kicking things off here in episode 42, we are in Alpharetta, Georgia, where Fish played a phenomenal three-night stand the first weekend of August 2018. We are selecting the Karini from night one, August 3rd, 2018, as the jam that we're going to focus on here for this run. So, why are we focusing on this Karini? Well, This is easily one of the peak jams of summer 2018. It follows the trend of inverted jamming that we heard from, I would say, San Francisco through Camden, where the band faded to silence. They built around a major keyed riff. They built to a bliss peak. And then they went into three to five minutes of really disjointed rhythmic jamming post that peak. 
And this was really fascinating. Some really inventive jamming. It took the like bliss peak jamming that we heard all over 2017 and kind of turned it on its head and gave us this like four to five minute segment at the end where the band was just messing around with noise and rhythm. Absolutely loved this. And the Carini really, really exemplifies this. Um, I would say the build in this is very, very purposeful, similar to the LA Fuego. And really the back half sounds like the artists that we're going to focus on here at the in, in our upcoming segment, just downright dirty, dirty rhythms. You could also almost call the back half of this jam organized noise. You could. You could. Absolutely. Anyway, alongside the other really big versions of Carino 3.0, some of which include October 31st, 2013, July 16th of 2017, and September 1st of 2017, that was a really big one from second set of the first night of the Dick Show. But uh, like we were saying, the focus here is on the disjointed post-peak jamming, which was a favorite moment of ours throughout the tour. I know I was watching this in the basin of a rental house in Cape Cod, tapping my feet way up and down on the couch. And really, I mean, this set in general is already an embarrassment of riches because you had the huge ghost in the first set, which we'll talk about in a very excellent second set opening tweezer. So by they got to this Carini, we say Dainu, because it would have been enough. Yeah, and we'll talk about this when we get to a couple of the later runs. You know, this Carini is really, for me, what solidifies Alpharetta Night One being such a strong show. They didn't need to do anything with the Carini for everyone to already love this show. You know, playing Carini mid-set two is already going to have everyone's heads kind of explode. But then to give it the treatment that they did was just that that just pushed the whole show over the top. So kind of stepping back and exploring the Alpharetta run here while we got you guys. Um, as it stands right now, I would say that this is still the run of summer 2018. Each of these shows is filled with highlights marked by killer set lists, excellent flow, sharp playing, and each show is filled with top tier jam. You start August 3rd, night one at Alpharetta, Friday night off with First Tube, No Men in No Man's Land that goes into really disjointed Type 2 territory almost immediately, and then a 22-minute ghost to kick off the run. I mean, in 3.0, there really aren't better ways that you could go ahead and start a show off other than a 10-minute sample, a 30-minute Lawn Boy, and a 12-minute My Friend, My Friend. I mean, this was really that good. Yeah, for non-Baker's Dozen, this is probably as good as it gets in 3.0 for the first three songs. I mean, that's the first set. It's even got all of these dreams, which some of you love. I know it's rare. I can take it or leave it. And then set two is relentless. It's like we said, you had the tweezer. builds into a gorgeous major key jam. The Carini, as you know, is fantastic. One of the best versions of Winter Queen played. And then you've got a hood that actually sounds like it could have come from 1994. And it's kind of a show such as this on a Friday night lends credence to the not really that true, oh my god, Fish loves the Eastern time zone, they hate the Western time zone. That's not true, but, you know, based off this show, you can say, okay, kind of see what they're getting at. Pretty relentless and... Um... Yeah, just a huge turnaround from the first sets in Los Angeles and the first set especially in Austin. You know, 
for for everyone, it's funny how this happens from time to time. Fish will zig and fish will zag, and from time to time you will get a show where everybody had it marked on a calendar that that is going to be a hot show from the moment the tickets and the tour dates were announced. And it's almost as though for four months now, everyone's been saying Alpharetta Night One is going to be a blowout show, 10 shows into the tour, first show on the East Coast. And it was. So Fish sometimes lives up to expectations, and that's a great thing. I had a lot of fun watching that show. And then turning to the second night, uh, August 4th, this picks up almost immediately where Friday left off. Uh, Bouncing Around the Room is an opener I can take or leave, but it was the first time they'd opened a show with Bouncing Around the Room in 15 years, so kind of unique there. But Choctaw's Torture flirts with Type 2 almost immediately. Wolfman's is one of the best Type 1 set 1 jams you can expect to hear. And then we get a lengthwise into a maze. Really, really good stuff to kick off the August 4th show. Yeah, set 2 pretty perfect. I mean, the cross-eyed jam is somewhat short and I guess relative to the Gord show. Trey and Paige connect in a gorgeous synth and drone passage that moves into Soul Planet. This is a brilliant take on Soul Planet with a similar jam structure actually to the August 3rd Carini. Easily the best version of the song played yet. Even better than the version that we covered in episode 41. Maybe not so much better as simply different because... The uh, L.A. Forum Soul Planet, you know, that was a textbook take on gorgeous D major Almond Brothers jamming, kind of like the Reading Down with Disease, whereas this one is a multifaceted orchestration that features what I like to call the Trey Life Raft, which is the opposite of the Trey Ripcord, as in a jam appears to be dying out, Trey's not having it. So he comes up with a gorgeous new improvisation on the fly, building it ever so gently and you know, it's no offense to other dudes in the band, but certainly Big Red's the leader. Maybe the exception of Fishman, if he pounds his drums hard enough from time to time. And really, Trey is kind of the only capable one of keeping the flame from going out. And plus, you've got a really nice, syncopated, kind of Manteca-esque piper in the show, too. And a very above-average divided sky. I think probably Alpha 1 and 2 are probably the two best shows they played back-to-back. Can I make the first controversial statement of the episode? Do it. I think Alpharetta 2 is better than Alpharetta 1. Really? Yeah, Alpha- Agree to disagree. Alpharetta 1's got... Based on what? Alpharetta 1's got higher highs. I mean, the ghost in the first set, the, the way that they open the show, the that Carini, the back end of the Carini is one of my favorite parts of the whole tour, the hood... I think I like the Alpharetta uh, Night 2 second set better. I think it flows better. I don't really see myself listening to any part of Alpharetta Night 1 set 1 after Ghost really ever again. Played well, high energy. I just don't see myself uh, listening to that. Whereas I've listened to Alpharetta Night 2 as a whole show probably three or four times um, since then. I, I really, really think that it's just like a concise thematic show that I, I really enjoy. So basically by that matrix you're saying Alpharetta 2 is your favorite show of the tour. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Gorge 3 is still number 1 for me. Alpharetta 2 is number 2. Yeah, Gorge 3 is still um, thematically everything I'm looking for from the band. I still have Alpharetta 1 at number 1. So really that inclusion of all of these dreams doesn't push over the top for you? 
I love all these dreams. I'm definitely in that camp. But um, after that, it just becomes like a very standard set one to me. But if you go there and after you do, the Alpharetta Part 2 is better for you. <laughs> Guess it is. So that's, right. a, that's a perfect transition into an absolutely bizarre, <laughs> weird set list on night three. Um, you got you had to know that that was coming, right? Like, yeah, they weren't going to fuck around. Ba- on a I mean, they were going to fuck around in a good way on a Sunday. Exactly. So, you got a you sexy thing opener, which is probably the most bizarre first pick for a return song from the Baker's Dozen Donut Thieves. Like, go through every show from there. I guess Shake Your Coconuts is probably never going to be played again. Um, That's a great but Strawberry song Letter. That's a great song. That's a great tune. Great tune. Junior Senior. Um, awesome. Awesome. Band. Awesome song. I just don't see the band ever throwing that out again. I'd be blown away if they did. But like Strawberry Letter, Sunday Morning could work really well as like a Fishman tune, um, you know, for, for like an HYHU type of tune. Dude, I mean, the, you go through finger, the list. Powderfinger. Powderfinger. Any, any day of the week, they could play that. They wouldn't have to rehearse that. Completely agree. Wind Cries Mary. Um, you know, some of the songs from like the latter part. I mean, I guess you're not going to hear like the Boston Cream stuff, but like You Sexy Thing felt like such an exclamation point on the Baker's Dozen. And I never expected to hear that anyplace else. Not complaining. I loved it as the opener. I loved how it weaved its way in and out of the show. But um, that really kind of threw me for a loop when they started the show. And then Tweezer Reprise in the two hole. I mean, we'll get to this when we get to Merryweather Night 2, but this just reinforces the fact that for however amazing Tweezer Reprise is, no matter where you hear it, set closer, encore is an expected encore, it is always better in the more unexpected slot. What's the use? Very good cooldown. Love seeing it in the first set. It's played very well. In the four hole, you got Petrichor. Your mileage may vary. I happen to love Petrichor. I think it's gorgeous and they played it reasonably well and you got most events are in plan which to me sounds like something that could have come out on the CTI label in 1972 if you don't know what that is then just go back a few episodes and we'll tell you what it is that's uh that's a great song love to see that go 15-20 minutes one day and then Vultures played like shit still kind of like seeing her in the set list excellent Reba very, very good sand. Really good set one. I mean, one of the better sets, ones of the year so far. You know, this one kind of felt like a Baker's Dozen first set, by which we mean... It did. Yeah. You play a bunch of rarities and classics, you shake the sillies out. That's fine. Everyone loves that. It's fun. If I'd never heard Fish before, and I put it on, and I hear these, these goofy-ass white guys playing you sexy thing, I think, like, who are these schmucks? But... Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, for the inside baseball, I got no problem with it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's one of those shows that, like, you really kind of hope if you're bringing your friend there for the first time that they've got a very open mind. Um, yeah. But it kind of feels like one of those shows where when the band walks out on stage, they've just got grins, you know, because they know what they're about to do. And they look out at the crowd and they're like, we're just here amongst, you know, 10,000 of our best friends. Let's throw it out. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I would say um, set two is probably a slight notch below set one, which is okay. 
Uh, still features some rarities like Taste and Mango, a few songs out of placement like Gin, and a really uplifting, beautiful Golden Age that goes into um, a Reba uh, whistling segment and has You Sexy Thing reprise uh, tacked all over it that just kind of adds this like overall zaniness to the show. Um, it gets a little lackadaisical after Golden Age, you know, um, Fuego does not come to the forum Fuego and is kind of uh, we'll get to this, but a reason why we can't really trust Fuego in the second set. Um, Waves didn't really do much, but you know, wasn't bad. It just kind of wasn't up to the standards of the first two nights and it felt like they put a ton of energy into set one and didn't have as much to deliver in set two, though it was good. It wasn't like it was um, uh, Bill Graham night three from 2016 where they played this amazing first set and then just kind of drive off a cliff for set two. Oh, God. I do recall that, actually. Let's see. Fiancore. Good call. Always fun. Trey mangled the lyrics, which sometimes happens in Fee. Not much harm done. And then to have 2001 to close out the show, that was uh, appropriate. That was a great yeah, call. Great call. Plus, Trey gets to laugh and say, I know all the lyrics to the song. You can sing along with the choruses. <laughs> really funny so with this 2001 actually it has um, a tweezer reprise jam in it kind of weaved into it which on twitter Rob Mitchum astutely described as something a lame fish cover band would do when it's actually being done by fish themselves it's cool and he's he's totally right it's fun to have a loose show with some inside baseball stick like this it's Sunday night. They're feeling it. Maybe they got a little bit tired in the second set. Maybe you sexy thing was a joke on the bus. They couldn't stop laughing. Any rate, really a hell of a three night run. Yeah, I mean, they just haven't come close to playing anything on this level since then. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it here as we. I think there's been some really interesting stuff that's happened, but in terms of peak level, Baker's dozen comparison, high quality fish at a consistent clip where by the middle part of Saturday's show, you're like, are they ever going to play an off night? Um, You just got the sense that they always had something cooking. I mean, I feel like the soul planet that started up on uh, night two, there were definitely some groans, but there was also some optimism because of how good the LA version had been um, just throughout social media. And within like 10 minutes, everybody was losing their shit because it was just that good of a version and like they went deep it was almost a 24 minute jam on a new song I and mean, that's a very rare thing to do so really exemplified the overall um the overall run and really really great stuff we're playing the carini right we're gonna play uh the last part of the carini here so this is really focusing heavily on the disjointed post-peak jamming which is something that Dave and I have enjoyed greatly from uh, Fish on this summer tour so far. So let's do that. We're going to give you three to five minutes of the Karini Jam from night one of Alpharetta.
for our first Pandora Fist segment regarding the Karini from the first set of Alpharetta, we were thinking, all right, they played this in Atlanta. That's some dirty, awesome jamming, kind of like some organized noise. Ah, fuck it. Let's feature some Outkast and organized noise. And organized noise, they're a hip-hop production team from Atlanta, best known for their work with Outkasts. TLC's Waterfalls, from which, uh, according to a documentary from 2016, they're still getting royalties. And Vogue's Don't Let Go, Love, and Ludacris's Saturday. Ooh, ooh! It consists of the trio of Sleepy Brown, Rico Wade, and Ray Murray. And um, certainly, they help outcasts break into the scene in the early 90s, and they legitimize their sound from the get-go. And really, organized noise is credited... With kind of the overall sonic impact on the Southern hip hop scene in the mid nineties, giving rise to the scene and the various artists, many of who are called the dungeon family collective named as such. Cause the dungeon was uh, the dank basement of a house and which organized noise did the work. I think it was, um, belonged to one of their mothers. I think I'm trying to remember. They're entirely responsible for production of the first Outkast album, Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music, which featured lots of live instrumentation over conventional hip-hop techniques. And with regard to Outkast themselves, I mean, we really shouldn't have to tell you that Outkast is fantastic. You know, it's big boy, Andre 3000. They formed in Atlanta, Georgia in 1991. They popularized Southern hip-hop. Combined funk, disco, rave, psychedelia, and jazz and lyrical themes about women's rights, civil rights, and black empowerment. Prior to recording their second album, which may be pronounced Atlians, it may be pronounced Atlians. Either way, it sounds cool. This was a record that the band was granted much more creative control for due to the uh, success of their first album. Uh, so prior to this, Andre 3000 became a vegetarian. He got sober. He started focusing on highly eccentric fashion. Their 1998 record, Aquamini, featured collaborations with Raekwon, Slick Rick, and George Clinton. And their 2000 record, Stankonia, was their biggest album to date and was headed by the lead single, Bombs Over Baghdad. It's one of the greatest songs of all time. I can completely. I, I think that was Pitchfork's number one song of the 2000s. Just about. It sounded nothing in 2000 and sounds like nothing since. But we're not going to play it because it wasn't produced by Organized Noise. But just as a footnote, their biggest album was the double disc speaker box to Love Below, which it won three Grammys, including Album of the Year. And you're probably singing Hey Ah to yourself right now. <laughs> Aside from the lead vocal hooks of uh, Organized member Sleepy Brown on a few tracks, Speaker Box Love Below did not contain any organized noise production at all, which rightfully, I think, kind of pissed them off. And this created a bit of a rift of sorts. And while another outcast record nowadays verges on extremely unlikely and would definitely turn the hip-hop world on its head and create expectations they would be unable to fulfill, organized noise actually has done a good deal of production on uh, some big boy solo records verging on great being the uh, Sir Lucius Leftfoot album, which came out in 2010 to Good Enough. Boomiverse came out uh, last year, 2017. He's a pretty reliable festival act. He uh, 
does the outcast hits that you crave plus a smattering of his own solo material so the songs that we're going to play from outcast include the one that got it all started players ball uh, southern playlist of cadillac music millennium off of etlians skew it on the barbie off aquamini probably the one that you will absolutely know it's uh, so fresh and so clean i'm standing it's beginning to look a lot like wood follow my every step take notes on how i crap i was about to go in depth this is the way i greet my season here's my get to rep i kept to say the least no no it can't cease so i begin to piece my two and two together got no snowy weather have to find something to do better bet i said some time so shut up that nonsense about some solid solid i got sick crock if it ain't real ain't right i'm like no matter what the season but with Smith, I sent my fifth. I chip with West and got my reason. So tell me what did you expect? You thought I'd break my neck to help y'all deck. Oh no, I got other means of celebrating. I'm getting blizzard at Hojo. I got the hoochie waiting. I made it through another year. Can't act for nothing much more. It's outcast, but the books I thought you knew. So now you know. Let's go. And everything around me It's unstable like Chernobyl Ready to go at any moment Jumping like a pogo stick Like never lived up to my expectations So I accept the patience Expect the worst But now I'm pacing back and forth Inside I'm melting like water On wicked witches A monster truck don't came And ran over my picket fences I had the best of life in my clenches But monkey wrenches was thrown Like chairs king sit on My prayers sing too long I fall asleep before the ending Don't even get to say amen I hope he understand I be on bended knees At times I think I'm crazy Then I say forget it Or maybe it's the devil Infiltrating and like Riddick Bo, I've been fighting this since them fetus days I'll count from 1 to 20 when I'm through Repeat the phrase, it's just a phase It's gone all past, but that gets old too I'm weakening like a deacon doing dirt When am I supposed to? We're looking to start some new shit. I'm writing this rhyme and paste it when you get it. The nigga numerator, never know who to hate. A niggas cater to your ego. I'm sorry, like Atari, who's the cousin to Calico. Fish and Puerto Rico, back on the street like Kiko. The barge, he large, and got a lack in the garage. Few parts here and there, I declare hard. My lord, one at Clark, one at Spellman. Both know each other, and it's cool, you can tell. When he step off in the party, women jump for joy. But all the wild niggas scheming, they gon' jump the boy for spitting all that bourgeois. My watch, my car, I'm a star. I'd rather be a comet by far. Hurrah. Play, play. 
belts and patty melts and Monte Carlos and Eldorado. So I'm waking up out of my slumber, feeling like Rollo. So follow, it's showtime at the Apollo, minus the Kiki Shepherds. With about a hoe and a leopard print. Hot Teddy, Pendergrass, cooler than Freddie Jackson, sipping a milkshake in a snowstorm. Left out the warm in the dorm room at the AU. We blew hate to athletes, might cake you, but you must have me mistaken with them statements that you make, huh? So we leave behind the three nights in Atlanta, and we drive north on I-95, past Raleigh, past Columbia, Maryland, to Camden, New Jersey, the most beautiful city in southern New Jersey. It's gotten nicer. It's gotten it nicer. I've always wanted to go and see fish at Camden. Um, as has been noted, it's a venue with an incredibly high batting average for great fish shows. Um, and everybody was primed for a two night run at Camden midweek. First time playing there since 2011, they've bypassed Camden for Atlantic city in 2012 and 2013. Um, I guess they also did Homedale in 2013. Uh, and then 2014, 15 and 16, they did The Man just across the river in Philadelphia. And then we all know what happened in 2017. So first time back there in a a seven-year period in time. Um, We are going to be focusing here on the Everything's Right that closed out set one on night two of Camden, August 8th, 2018. Why are we covering this jam, Dave? This was the most shocking and inspired jam of the two-night stand at Camden. Certainly, while the down with disease from August 7th was more in line with the overall kind of jamming theme of the tour, and the version of light from that night hit uh, some highs we hadn't heard from that song in almost two years. And seriously, how is there not the Baker's Dozen Light? Like, they played it, but it wasn't that memorable. I can't remember anything about it. Right. That it was played. But really... This version of Everything's Right contains everything one is seeking from Fish in 2008. It is indeed right. I was there, and it was a pretty disappointing first set. And then when they broke out Everything's Right towards the end, I figured, well, all right, this will probably last about 10 minutes, get kind of funky, and they'll close out with the antelope, and that'll be that. Didn't happen. So... This song, it actually feels like a descendant, kind of a cross between Ocelot and the beta band song Dry the Rain. And it's really gone places in the last three performances that Ocelot could only dream of going. And in this performance, there's no effort to try and jam. They just get there and they get out there fast. Yeah, this jam sounds something like Dire Straits, something they could have made and touches on War on Drugs-esque 80s soundscapes before moving effortlessly into a rising, peaking jam, not unlike the Prince Caspian from July 19th, 2017, that closed out the show at Pittsburgh on the way to the Baker's Dozen. Um, The band didn't have to go back into the song, but decided to. A decision that didn't ruin the jam, it just wasn't necessary. 
like every other time they've done this this tour. I think it's been well documented uh, in the Twitter world that Fish has a tendency, it seems like Trey has a tendency to close songs after a jam in summer 2018, which is a little weird to me. They don't have they to. They don't have to. Just it's fade stupid. out and segue into the next song. Next song or just play some power chords and leave the stage because the Everything's Right jam was great. And then, but when they abruptly try to all jump cut and go, this world, this world, at the same time, they all come in at a different time and it, they don't stick the landing. And it's just, it's unnecessary. It was good and awesome. And it would have been even better if you didn't try to do that. But anyway, let's talk about the shows in the run itself. So what we first got um, Tuesday night, August 7th, right? Tuesday night, August 7th. Got a first set that's kind of reminiscent of the stuff we were seeing from July 25th to July 31st. Not bad, just not great. Standard set list with really strong playing and the entirety of set one of August 7th hold up, holds up much better on replay than it did in the moment. I remember in the moment kind of feeling like they were taking a little bit of a step back here at Camden when you'd expected them to continue the momentum from Alpharetta. But in re-listen, Blazon, Infinite, and 46 Days are all standout performances. Yeah, the first time I heard Infinite and Mike singing lyrics about Jason Sudeikis and walking on New York City cobblestones, I said, fuck this. And I heard it the second time, and now I can't get it out of my head. So that's a Mike Gordon song in a nutshell. <laughs> um, set two is a little bit uneven, but it does feature some fantastic improv in Down Disease and Light. And uh, you can be sure we definitely talked a lot about using the Down Disease and the Light. We, we enjoyed these versions very much. Um, I was very happy that the Light. Uh, joined the August 7, 2009 and August 7, 2010 versions as killer versions played on August 7. Um, moving through the set, number line was a bit out of place, as was Miss You, but both performances are strong, and um, I'm actually one who won't complain about either of those songs. I think that after Bob Weir sang Miss You, the song kind of was reborn within the Fish community, and uh, Baker's Dozen version... And the versions from the summer I loved, especially the Gorge Night 3 version. Um, I always wanted it this way. Well, I always want the band to just get out of their own way in this song. I want to hear this song jam. And I know that's just maybe my opinion, but um, I think you it should. should. And it doesn't. Yeah, it's... Like... There's no reason for that not to jam. There's no reason for that not to be a big, crazy page, Moogfest, Trey Loop, Underworld-style Chemical Brothers jam. And it's not. It usually goes for about 10 minutes and kind of peters out into something else entirely. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of where Golden Age was at in like 2011 and 2012, where the band just didn't know how to break out of the like rhythmic dancing that came within that song and kind of the, the overall kind of structure to that song they couldn't figure a way out of it there are a couple versions like july 3rd 2012 where you hear them get into like ambient soundscapes but then fall 2013 and kind of fast forward into dick's 2015 
you really heard the band take that song in a completely different direction, all of which peaked with the Vegas version of 2016, New Year's Eve version 2016, and the... baker's dozen version from 2017 so the hope with i always wanted it this way is a couple more years of it in the rotation and they figure a way out of that song um but uh mike's and week are strong the former featured you sexy thing teases and start stop jamming and um week was just a really great way to end that set yeah the, the down with disease of that show is certainly i think a top 10 version of fish 3.0 lots and lots of stuff to unpack it's kind of like a fish jamming museum in that you got bliss jamming hard rock maybe some deep purple my one from tokyo teases page going overboard on his moog as he has been wont to do kind of lurches at the end got something for everyone and uh yeah as we said that light is extremely good coming out late in the set has a variety of movements with almost like a sunny calypso thing going on sort of Reminiscent of the one from uh, December 31st, 2013, which kind of had elements of the wingsuit set, one and done song, You Never Know. And they take a nasty, nasty segue swerve into Mike's song. So I would say this show's good. Solid B, not one for the Pantheon. Yeah, I would say, you know, in the moment, it felt like a step down from Alpharetta, but like I said, re-listening to this show it definitely held up as a really strong complete show um it is a step down from alpha it is it is i'm not i mean other than perhaps night three i mean certainly it's not as good as off at one or two maybe better than three i mean and we'll get into this like when we shift to this last weekend you know you really realize in hindsight how special it is that they connect on a jam like that down with disease and that light when they don't do that for a couple of shows. And we'll talk about that here. Um, so the next night, Wednesday, uh, Dave, you were at this show. What were kind of your impressions of this show? This is your first show of summer 2018, correct? Yes. It was really fucking hot. That's my impression of that show. <laughs> it was inside the pavilion. I wasn't in the pit, thank God. It probably got close to 100 degrees, very humid, very sticky. I took the day off from work and was walking around Philadelphia eating in Michael Salmonoff restaurants and drinking Klein the Elder at Monk's. So I had already spent the day walking around and getting hot. And I went to the parking lot and got even hotter. And uh, certainly by the end of the evening, there were levels of groin pain I hadn't experienced in quite some time, make it that what you will. (laughs) But musically... Kind of similar to night one, in that good, not fantastic. I think certainly, I mean, other than the everything's right in the first set and a very well-played version of Theme from the Bottom, which saw Trey nailing the bridge better than he's nailed it in quite some time. The first set doesn't have a heck of a lot going for it, although they play Train Song really fast and it's kind of a train wreck. And then set two has a lot of um, kind of good 10-minute solid versions of songs that were nevertheless played better other nights on the tour. Like there's a 10-minute version of Karini 
that kind of has like fast A major bliss jamming, not unlike uh, the Karina they played in SPAC in July 2013, very similar. That's pretty good. Set Your Soul Free, about 10 minutes, pretty good again, nowhere near Bill Graham. Sense and Subtle Sounds with the intro, absolutely a treat, but the actual meat of Sense itself I think was probably better the other time they played it on this tour. Um, you know, a good solid B set that has a lot, you know, there's at least 35 minutes of stuff you'll go back and listen to. It was all played well with a minimal amount of flub, save train song, but, you know, nothing after all is said and done, I probably won't go back and listen to it that much. Also, to be noted in Camden, at the top of the lawn during set break, there's never any line to get your, uh, your chicky and Pete's crab fries. So if you're surrounded by stone and happy friends that see that you got a bucket of crab fries, you will make friends. <laughs> I know I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had very similar impressions to you, and we were texting throughout the show, and neither one of us was... We tend to come down in, in, quite, in, in pretty good agreement about a lot of shows at this point in time. I think that we have similar tastes in fish to, to a large degree. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I felt like this show, I don't know. It felt like they were holding something back. You know, it felt akin to like a really good 2014 show where you get a good amount of songs you want to hear. You get a lot of songs you don't necessarily want to hear, and they just don't fully push through with the songs that you do want to hear. And I think what's surprising is when you hear the quality jams that they've played throughout this tour, where they've pushed through any moment of restraint, it kind of shocks you that they wouldn't just do that all the time. Maybe they were going for something else inspirationally. You know, you had a really good character zero, had a split open a melt that was kind of gorge light. Um, that was great. Yeah, kind of it gets uh, one thing it won't come through on the tapes. When split open a melt, now that Corroded can move around the light rig, the light rig got very, very low on the stage. With low light rig, flashing red lights, it's very evil. Maybe there might have been some smoke machines used. They've gotten very good at with the light rig moving and making the whole thing look very evil and foreboding, like in the pits of hell when split open a melt. So that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, and that's one of those songs that even if they don't play like the greatest version, if you see it live, that can really mess you up. Yeah. <laughs> like even if like you listen back two days later and you're like, ah, it's just a standard split up and melt. Like in the moment you're like, Oh my god, are we gonna be okay? Um and I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that. But um yeah, so this was uh it's it's weird. I don't know totally what to make of the Camden run, which which I I, I expected this to be the biggest overall stand of um, summer 2018, simply because by the time they got here, they were what like 12 or 13 shows into the tour, and you know the the interesting thing about this year versus last year is so many of the people that we know weren't seeing shows until this point. So you had this big crew of people that saw probably, if not half, all of the Baker's Dozen, at least, you know, a, a large chunk of the Baker's Dozen, now seeing their first shows of the tour. 
I kind of just figured like Fish was going to blow this venue up essentially, but um, they took a little bit more of like a nuanced and subdued approach, which again, Camden Night 1 sounds a little bit better in hindsight than it did in the moment. Um, but I was just a little bit surprised by the approach. What, what were your takeaways on that? I almost wonder if the band gets affected by the temperature. I know they're, they're huh. indoors a lot of the day. The uh, tour buses are extremely well air conditioned. I, mean, I don't know what it feels like on stage, never having been on stage at a fish concert. But it right. was so hot in the pavilion. People were, I mean, not quite passing out. It was, things were moving slowly. And added to the fact that it's a Tuesday and Wednesday night, which I don't care if you're in fish, I don't care what kind of job you have, just mentally, if you're an American, I think it's harder to blow it out on Tuesday and Wednesday than it is on Friday and Saturday. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I don't know if that ever seeps into their mind because they're like professional musicians doing a paying service. But yeah, I mean, Camden, Camden was good. It was good, solid, B, B plus above average fish. Yeah, I would definitely not have walked away disappointed. I will say that for whatever criticism I'm, I'm unleashing. Maybe a little subdued. Certainly not approaching the highs of Camden 20, uh, well, not Camden, but the man of like Philadelphia 2015. Right, right, right. And that's the thing is it's Philadelphia, you know, essentially. You, you figure they're, they're just going to blow it out. But, hey, that's another thing. Fish sometimes totally zags when you think they're going to, you think they're going to zig. So, um, kind of with regards to Camden, should we jump into the uh, Everything's Right from August 8th? Yeah, let us listen to the one thing that was absolutely incredibly right about Camden.
All right, so coming out of that, everything's right. You got this thought that that part of the jam and the song itself, everything's right, kind of sounds like Fish's take on the Tulsa sound. And we're going to talk specifically about J.J. Kale through Dire Straits. So what is the Tulsa sound? So it's a genre of music that's a mix of rockabilly, country, rock and roll, blues from the 1950s and 1960s that developed sonically in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and for who J.J. Kale is best known for. Also, Eric Clapton, Leon Russell, and Elvin Bishop. Leon Russell, of note, brought many Tulsa musicians to L.A. where the genre would flourish. Many of these, off, many of these artists scoff at the genre's name, stating rather that this that rather than this being its own style, it's more emblematic of white guitarists who simply don't know the blues. So in terms of Fish, the song itself, everything's right. Aside from our note of the, the song being something of a ripoff of the beta bands, uh, Dry the Rain, it's kind of a ripoff of the genre. And this jamming segment from 5 minutes and 30 seconds to 10 minutes and 20 seconds is essentially a timeline in the genre leading from J.J. Kale through Dire Straits. In this jam, Trey really sounds like he's mimicking J.J. Kale and Mark Knopfler, whom he essentially copted for the great party time tune, Liquid Time. Can Fish just please play that song already? I mean, does anyone remember 2009, Fish played Toyota Park, which is literally five minutes from the house that I grew up in, um, and everyone thought that they were sound checking with Mark Knopfler, but it turned out they were just playing Liquid Time. And then following that, the show completely sucked ass and disappointed a lot of people. Bad show. Bad show. Very bad show. Um, but I remember being on Fantasy Tour that day and all these rumors blew up that Mark Knopfler was going to be playing with Fish solely based on the sound check. Yeah. Um, Liquid Time's also on Paper Wheels. And on the, the Paper Wheels version, it almost completely rips off Sultans of Swing. And this is the first time and the last time we are ever going to talk about Paper Wheels on this podcast. And actually, we were originally going to feature uh, the end of the jam kind of being the massive AOR 70s rock peak that ends the quite excellent Everything's Right because it sounds a lot like Stranglehold by Ted Nugent. I may have been screaming the lyrics to Stranglehold by Ted Nugent. But fuck Ted Nugent, <laughs> because Ted Nugent sucks. Ted Nugent's just like Kurt Schilling with a guitar. It wasn't always that way, but something in his brain cracked. So now I can appreciate his radio classic rock, but fuck you, Ted Nugent. Anyway. Yeah, fuck off, Ted Nugent. So <laughs> we're going to feature here four songs. Uh, one J.J. Kale song that uh, many people mistakenly would think is a widespread panic original it's actually a jj kale original traveling light um we're gonna then feature eric clapton's roll it off of his 78 album backlist which is probably the closest he came to the tulsa sound and then not one but two dire straight songs we got tunnel love which really has some moments that feel like the building section of the everything's right and Solid Rock, which is kind of a lesser-known single from band that uh, we think you guys are going to really dig. So hope you guys enjoy this. 
Pandora playlist spin off of the Everything's Right from August 8th, focusing on the Tulsa sound.
so now we move south once again. Raleigh, North Carolina for the only other one-night stand of the uh, summer tour alongside of Boston. August 10th, 2018, Raleigh, North Carolina, Walnut Creek Amphitheater, the first time the band had played there since 2015. What do you mean the mm-hmm. Coastal Credit Union? I don't. Walnut Creek? No? I don't. Yeah. I mean Walnut Creek. We mean Walnut Creek. Coastal we mean Credit Walnut Union Creek. Bank at Walnut Creek. <laughs> we called it the Walnut Creek Gym in episode mm. 37, <clears throat> not the Coastal Credit Union at Walnut Creek Gym, all right? right. Um, this is a venue the band has been playing at since, I believe, 1994 and hasn't really played a good show here in quite some time. The 2003 show had a great ghost. 2010 had a really good light. But 2011 and 2015 were not very, very hot for the band. Um, So it was kind of, you didn't really know what to expect. Coming off of like a subdued couple nights in Camden. Well, the band responded with just like an incredibly fun show. And we're going to get into the show here. But kind of the perfect exemplification of the show was a totally bizarre Left field jam after a butter seek from Drowned into NICU, which really in earnest kicked off the most bizarre set two since maybe Meriwether 2015, but probably Meriwether 2014. And this was just like a zany old school fish set. And of note, the NICU, so per Mike Hamad, who can be found on Twitter at Mike Hamad and if you're listening to this podcast and you don't follow Mike Ahmad, what the hell is going on? Seriously. Um, like the guy is one of the most – probably up there with like top three most enjoyable Twitter accounts to follow during a fish show because he breaks down jams for you in such a discernible way. It's unbelievable. Um, but he noted that this NICU went from E-flat major to D-flat major, which apparently is something that's never happened before to then G-flat. So really unique breakdowns and modulations within the overall jam. Um, Really fun to listen to. It's a short, short jam. You guys will hear it. Um, But something I've noticed this tour is the band has really been messing around with unique modulations and have added a ton of musical diversity to their jamming, which has gotten them away from that kind of like just straightforward bliss peak jamming that we had talked about earlier in the summer. Um, And of note... So this was the first NICU that's gone type two since July 27, 2014, that Meriwether 2014 show. And really, this is the most legitimate NICU jam. It's one of our favorite shows of all time, a show we covered back in, I believe it was episode 13, uh, December 14th, 1995 from Binghamton, New York. So this was probably the most fun show of the year so far. I don't know if it was the best. Surely the most fun. While uh, August 5th had bigger surprise tunes and kind of felt like the bust out show of the year at this point, this was a true 1992-1995 throwback show. Very loose, lots of old tunes in a show of 1997 vintage, lots of stage banter, lots of fishy humor. Yeah, you know, set one, really standard set list. I mean, on paper, if you didn't know what happened at the show, you probably wouldn't think it was that incredible. But Wombat jammed for a bit, and following that, Trey chatted the crowd up for about two to three minutes, 
before a fly flew right in his face, inspiring the first Beetle Papyrus of the tour. And uh, limb by limb to farmhouse, doesn't look like any spe- anything special on paper. Wasn't mind-blowing, but it was a really pretty segment of music. And I walked away really loving set one, despite yet another standard fare set one on paper. Yeah, it doesn't look great on paper, but it's pretty loosey-goosey. And they were having fun and being silly. Like, Trey doesn't sing ghoul papyrus so much to, like, drunken karaoke ghoul papyrus. Fishman was wearing sunglasses throughout the whole set, despite it being nighttime. There was some funny stage banter. Um, when they played Saw It Again, Trey's, like, shouting about evil clowny clown clown. Somebody was in a mood. And uh, we are all, all better for it in that set. Yeah, he was having a ton of fun and just wanted to get weird, and you kind of got that sense throughout the entirety of the show. Um, set two was just stupid fun, and we'll get into this here in a second. First, I think we have to note, so this was the first meat stick that opened up the second set uh, for the first time since April 17, 2004. One of the worst shows, Vegas 04. One of the worst, if not the worst show I've ever seen. Um, that in August or uh, April 15th of that run of on par for some of the worst fish shows I've ever seen. Um, and I would argue this is the only appropriate spot for meats to consent to. Now, we've gotten a few responses over the last week or so as we've come out pretty adamantly against set two meat sticks. And we understand. Look, the July 15th, 99 version, uh, September 18th, 99 version, December 5th, 99 version, June 27th, 2010, August 5th, 2011, July 30th, 2014, and January 14th, 2017 versions all have been great with a capital G in set two. But that's only seven out of 62 versions, and 42 of those have been second set versions. Really, at the end of the day, Meat Stick is batting 166. Not great. That's not going to cut it at the big leagues, Meat. It's some AAA batting average. That makes Meat, <laughs> that's a quad A player. You might be hitting 300 AAA and you get to the bigs, you're hitting 166. You're kind of stuck in between. Don't play Meat Stick in the second set, Fish. Just don't. Yeah, unless they're just like, and I've seen, um, I should have noted in here, I apologize for for not, so I guess this might change batting average a bit, but um, they played a pretty decent version in the second set of Cinnamon Night. But I've seen that every single run I've seen since 2015, I've gotten a second set meat stick. I will say it again, I really hope that they just don't do this at Dick's this year. And um, I just would love a break from this song, because when it starts... It just kind of throws the set off. But that said, this was a great, great uh, kickoff to a really weird set here. I thought it was in a, in the right placement of all of all songs. Yeah, and plus Trey has to remind you that he's the father of two college-age girls who keep him apprised of pop culture memes as he ended Meat Stick doing the Kiki Challenge, which I yes. guess has to do with uh, the recent Drake hit, In My Feelings. I haven't paid that much attention to Drake since his Take Care album, which is admittedly really good. But Trey's just a goofy dad at heart, so good for him. 
It really is. Yeah. Um, Drown was probably the jam of the night. This featured a really upbeat, rhythmic jam that was strangely akin to the multitude of 2009 to 2010 versions that seemed to open every other set two. You had seven of those in just two years. And, you know, Drown felt like it was growing towards a no-brainer 20, 25-minute jam. And then it was a perfect butter segue into NICU, which contained a jam itself. And uh, I can't complain. I think the Drown is great. It's got great, it's great for on re-listen. And that segue, man, is uh, something else. Then you get the first version of the song, Thread, since Jamfield. Probably the tightest version of that song to date. I'll just say, I don't really understand Thread. It's got a bunch of changes that don't make a heck of a lot of sense to me. And it feels like they're trying to jerry-rig three songs into one, but not that smoothly. Maybe they should even woodshed that one with Bob Ezrin. I don't really think that we should ever suggest they do anything with Bob Ezrin again, okay? Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. <laughs> anyway... Best part of that set was the Run Like a Gymalope Makasu Policeman back and forth segue fest. Very much a throwback to something that they would do in 1994. And the Runaway Gym, Runaway, Run Like a Gymalope mashup was, that was the first time it happened in fish history. And given the titles of the songs and the fact that they're both hyperactive animals, that was kind of surprising to both of us. And equally shocking. This is the first time that you enjoy myself ever followed in a little. Yeah, you would think like back in the late 80s, early 90s that those songs were at some point cross paths and kind of a pairing, but uh, it's the funny thing about the set list back then is they had all these big songs and they did a really good job of kind of separating it. So now you're 35 years into a career and you have this, they have this moment where two of their biggest songs follow each other in a really unique way. Um, it's a really good version of you enjoy myself especially yeah. at the at the end you can see on the free webcast mike he's got he has foot pedals but the pedals are actually at um like his arms height so he can like reach up and do some effects in the fly so he walks over to uh his pedal box up on a shelf and then he turns something way up which just makes his bass sound like a propane weapon he's just fighting through the jungle throwing out these heavy bass chords in the last minute and 30 seconds of the song for the vocal jam. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, really good stuff. Um, a Day in the Life encore is something no one will ever complain about, except for my wife, who's been chasing it for 90-plus shows and has never once seen it. <laughs> I complained about it in 1995, 1996, when it was like every other fucking show. Now I don't complain about it. Yeah, it's a really special one, and... That was the first time that they played that since uh, Holes Night, one of my favorite shows from Baker's Dozen. Um, so this this show is super fun. The Jimalope is amazing. Hell yeah, stuff going on here. I walked away from Raleigh. I think we would both agree this was probably the most fun night of tour. Uh, everybody felt loose. Everybody was down with whatever fish was cooking that night, and um, you know. I don't think it was the best. I don't know if I would recommend this show, you know, to a lot of other people. I think it was pretty sloppy, but I had fun. That's kind of what uh, you want out of a fish webcast is just to kind of walk away and be like, either your mind's blown or you walk away with a dumb smile on your face. And I think everybody in attendance, everybody watching and listening at home 
loved it. It was just a really great time by all. Yeah, this fish show isn't what you call a five-course meal. This is more like eating a buffalo chicken pizza in your boxers with like a 40-ounce malt liquor. <laughs> Super fun. Maybe not the best. Totally fun. It's a great Friday night. It's Absolutely. Great, it's a great Friday night. Excellent Friday night. Well, let's listen to uh, three to five minutes of that NIC.
So, in talking about this Farley show, we've been going with the theme, not the best, still lots and lots of fun. So, on this podcast before, careful listeners have noted that we have absolutely talked about the band Yola Tango several times. We've uh, talked about some of the records, I think we even had a Yola Tango themed episode diving into the most recent album. So, Yola Tango has an alter ego. The alter ego is called the Condo Fox. And who exactly are the Condo Fox? Well, the Condo Fox are kind of a one-off joke from the liner notes of uh, their 1997 album, I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One. So in 2009, they put out a Condo Fox record complete with liner notes talking about other Condo Fox albums with track titles that have all these funny themes from uh, the state of Connecticut because the Condo Fucks are from New Haven, Connecticut. So what the Condo Fucks do is incredible, incredible garage rock covers. So the album that the Condo Fucks put out in 2009 is called Fuck Book, clearly a reference to the 1990 Yola Tango album, Fake Book. Is it any wonder that these guys often tour with comedians? So, this is certainly, Fuckbook is not the best Yola Tango record. That would be I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One, Painful, or And Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out. This is enough for debate. But, it might be the most fun Yola Tango record. I mean, this thing stomps and rages like the Stooges Funhouse. It's just hastily recorded, hastily produced, bunch of garage rock covers from the likes of bands like the Trogs, the Beach Boys, Richard Hell, Flaming Groovies, and well, lots of other bands that Yola Tango probably listen to on uh, the stacks of vinyl that they collect daily. It's loud, it's silly, it's abrasive, and it's super, super fun. This is a record you just want to put on in a dive bar really loudly and just pound cheap beer and shots all night long. So we're going to play four songs off of Fuckbook. So the first is the song What You Gonna Do About It? Covered by the band The Small Faces, The Kid with the Replaceable Head, that's a Richard Hell cover, Dog Meat, Flamin' Groovy's cover, and the last song on the record, Goodbye to Jane, I believe it's a cover by Slade. So prepare to get yourself rocked and extremely fucked by the condo fucks.
stand at Meriwether Post. They ended their summer 2018 tour in proper the same way that they ended their summer 2015 tour. Philadelphia, Raleigh, Meriwether. Only this time they did Camden instead of the man. Now in 2015, you remember they came out on Saturday night and absolutely tore the place to the ground and then came out on Sunday night and played one of the sleepiest kind of more subdued, but kind of boring shows I've ever seen. What was it going to be in 2018? Well, we'll get into this here in a second. It was a bit of a reverse, but the jam that we're going to feature here from this overall run is the Piper that came out of Sunday night, 8-12-2018. Now, this Piper, I would say, was the most interesting jam played throughout the entire Merryweather weekend. While Ghost peaked harder and Mercury touched upon ambient bliss and No Men in No Man's Land featured a perfect tray lead section, this jam just shows how much creativity the band can display in just under 10 minutes before a direct segue into a tree's reprise. Um, you know, to be honest, I think we both agree the jams were lacking across two shows at Merryweather and Seems as though the band left a big Type 2 jamming behind with uh, the Everything's Right from Camden that we just played. Um, none of the newer jam vehicles, Set Your Soul Free, Soul Planet, and Everything's Right were present during the run. So the band really relied on a new school songy set list on Saturday, with the aforementioned Mercury and Ghost being the only two true moments of improv. And Sunday was a classic old school set list and energy show. And uh, we didn't really have a lot of jams to choose from as a result of it. This Piper, though. I'm really surprised they didn't play Soul Planet in Meriwether. I figured that was a lock. I did, too. There was no question in my mind. I picked it for both nights on Lure Social because I was 
there's no way they weren't going to go they were going to go more than a week without playing that song after that fantastic version of Alpharetta but they're going to play it curveball you're going to love it new heart it's going to be like 30 minutes long um but yeah i mean the piper is really legitimately good stuff i just i wish it had gone for like 25 minutes it was on a good track and i liked the segue to tweez reprise i think the build the uh, amphitheater must have just lost its collective mind at that point in time i won't, wouldn't lie I, I wish that they'd kept jamming so august 11th saturday night um i would say we, we both agreed immediately and during the show this was probably the weakest show of the football tour mm-hmm. so set one begins with 45 minutes of all 3.0 tunes now to be clear, we are the last podcast to tell you that we don't want 3.02. We encourage new songs. Um, honestly, both of us would be really stoked with a full 3.0 show and with more th- experimentation within 3.02. Um, but it's almost as though the band just didn't know what to do with this set list, as everything aside from Party Time came off as little more than live cuts of the album songs. I'd forgotten about Home. The little song, they should play it more. I'm kind of surprised they don't. Yeah, they really should, especially that midsection of the of the song is uh, just a phenomenal jam. I wish that they would take that for a ride. So, it's funny, because set two is um, maybe the weakest five-song set they ever played. It's a great set list in the abstract. It looks great on paper. There's some good jamming in Mercury and Ghost, but nothing really gets there, and it kind of felt like they left a lot on the table when they walked off the stage after Slayer of the Traffic Light. Was like 68 minutes long. Yeah, it just um I mean setlist wise, I love it. I would even say that kind of from a song to song standpoint, it flows pretty well. I guess I was surprised Sand has closed all set ones to this point on the tour. Um, and sort of see it in the set two opening slot. Kind of had the impression that they were gonna open it up in a way. Um, because they played really good contained versions to this point in the set one closing slot, and it didn't really do much. Mercury was just about to get there, and um, then Trey kind of ripcorded for Ghost. Ghost peaks really nicely, fantastic jam, but that doesn't give you that kind of post-peak jamming that you come to expect from Fish at this point. Uh, Fuego... Man, oh man, Fuego's got an 094 batting average, if anyone's <laughs> curious from a jamming standpoint. Fuego is so goddamn untrustworthy in the second set. Fuego is Jose Reyes in the midst in 2018. <laughs> um, and then, you know, Fuego segues into Slave before it ever even has a chance to get going. And I don't know, it just felt like the band was done at that point. I, I really was kind of surprised. You know, you get a four song encore and random calls like 20 years later and Martian Monster are good but they just kind of did little to alter the sentiment surrounding the show I can be blunt I did not like the show at all the first set even though it had 8 songs it sort of felt to me like what the Grateful Dead would do in the mid 1990s where they would play a quote 6 pack being 6 song set under an hour where the sentiment is let's get this over with and I'd say, aside from the ghost in the second set, which had, you know, a good conventional D major bliss peak, like, set two was just a weird missed opportunity. I mean, we love Mercury, Trey loves Mercury, but for whatever reason, the band has a hard time playing it. And 
it's really every time. I mean, they never come in on the vocals together. The composed bits get butchered. It's one thing to say, you know, Trey goofed on Rift again. It's tough, LOL. But like Mercury's only three years old, so I don't know why they can't seem to play it that well. I mean, other than... I would say Night 2 of the Gorge and Night 2 of Tahoe. This is really the only show of the tour. Kind of showing nothing new. And given where it came in the tour, that was a bit surprising and a little dispiriting even. But they're entitled to an off night because that's what makes them human. That's what makes the good nights that much better, I guess. Yeah, and the off nights lead you into the great nights, which August 12th, Sunday night, one night ago, as we're recording this, we're recording this right in the glow of August 12th. That was a makeup sex show, if I have ever heard of it. Makeup fish sex. Maybe <laughs> pumping some Bob Marley in the background. You got your tapestries. <laughs> you got your incense stick going. You know, you can picture it. So. <laughs> so Set one opens with four straight tour debuts. Llama, Big Black Fur Creature from Mars, Meat, and Alaska. Alaska, of note, hasn't really been played a lot since like 2012, and that's a good thing. Keep it out of the rotation and it sounds that much better. Yeah, in the first set, um, Alaska's fine. Give me that big Tennessee Jed type feel. You know? Totally. 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 Just don't put it in um, set three of a New Year's run like in 2011. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um... What follows this is something that has never happened before in fish history. Tweezer, Gin, Curtain With, and Choctaw's Torture are all played in the exact same set and in the exact same way. I thought my TV was going to break. So much intensity coming out of the stage during that period of time. Shifting into set two, so this suffers a tad from the August 5th issue in that it never fully comes together in a fluid sense and fails to deliver a truly monumental piece of improv. But it's still really good. Tweet Prize opens set two for the first time since December 15th, 1995. No Man in No Man's Land. It's got, it kind of flirts with the down disease from Dick's 2015 jam. Some people have said that that uh, song kind of sounds like a fi- uh, the song Firework. Is that what it's called by Katy Perry? Oh, that's really they compare it to Katy Perry's Firework. I know that. I've heard that before. Yeah, <laughs> well, something new each day. I'm not going to sing Firework um, for you people. You can seek it out if you want. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. Um, but I thought it was a great jam, nonetheless. I thought Trey's leads were, were phenomenal. It was, reminded me in a lot of ways of the Kill Devil Falls from uh, uh, the LA Forum, as well as the Soul Planet from the same night. Um, the Piper Prize. Piper going into Tweet Prize. Uh, we're going to play here for you in a second. 2001 is fucking amazing. Space Force. Trey Anastasio. wants you. The Harry Hood gets there. And then uh, the encore with Heavy Things and Bug before we get another Tweet Prize, because why not? But, you know, why would they? I don't understand the Heavy Things and the Bug in that slot, but hey, you got to pay me to do this. As I tweeted out last night, if this show is the makeup sex and going Heavy Things and Bug in the encore is the equivalent of rolling over, 
snoring loudly and drooling and keeping the partner. So. <laughs> all in all, this show is kind of like a June 11, 1994 show in, in 2018. Kind of nothing blew your socks off, but classics played very well. And a true Sunday night show before a festival show, kind of reminiscent of uh, January 15th of 2017. We kind of wish there was one big jam, but when a set goes tweezer, gin, curtain, chop this torture, you just get on your knees and praise Jeebus. Yeah, you know, you don't have that one 20-minute jam, but everything is played incredibly well. Uh, it's really classic. The Tweet Prize Madness is incredibly fun. Paige really loves his mood like Keith Emerson did. Um, Cute. He should cover some like mood-heavy songs from the 70s, like Rush's Xanadu or... Emerson Lake and Palmer, because that's all Paige wants to do with that move now. It's just lay down these like seventies Steve Miller, you know, move lines. I think it's great. It adds a whole new element that's a whole element to their journey. Yeah. Very summer twenty eighteen. You know, confident show, great set list, top five show. I think for my money, I still prefer the first two nights of Alpharetta and probably Bill Graham night one. That's it. You really misspelled Gorge Night 3 there, but... Um, I, I like Gorge 3. That's probably number five. That is a very special show for me. I love that show. But... Um, That's kind of the best twist they played before. Certainly, Gorge 3. 100%. Is that the one that twisted with the Heartbreaker Jam in it? Yes, and I just think of that whole second set is the most thematic piece of music that they've played since um, or throughout the entirety of, of, of the of, of the tour I mean that you want to talk about a set with flow Gorge Night 3 has flow um, so on that let's go ahead we're going to listen to a little bit of the Piper into Tweezer Reprise to give you guys a taste of how rocking and how crazy Meriwether Post might be.
Alright, so last segment of music here for you guys, going with the theme, Makeup Sex Album. So the idea here being, we did not like the album before, maybe even a couple albums before. We didn't really know what was going on with you during this period in your career. And then you released an album where we were like, everything is good, let's smoke a cigarette, cancel all meetings tomorrow, lie in bed all day, do the dirty. Watch Netflix. Netflix and chill. Netflix and chill. This is the Netflix and chill segment, (laughs) which is probably not something you guys ever thought you would experience with Dave and I, but just bear with us here. I think that we've got it. We're onto something. Yeah, yeah. it'll it'll make sense. Right. (laughs) So first pick I've got, we're each going to pick an album here. We've each got two albums that we're going to feature. So my first one is uh, Star Wars by Wilco, and the song that I'm going to play is Pickled Ginger. So why am I picking this album? Well, Wilco, the album sucked. Sky Blue Sky and The Whole Love were acceptable and boring. I've come around on both of those albums in some ways, but in the moment, they didn't really do much for me, and it kind of made me realize that Wilco, you know, from a creative project, seemed to be fading into the background. And then they released this surprise, weird, quirky, uniquely instrumental, fantastic album in summer 2015. It was the first great thing to emanate from the loft in over a decade. And it totally brought me back in. And I've fallen deeply in love with Wilco all over again. Schmilko is one of my favorite records of 2016. Uh, Tweety's solo record in 2014. I've come around on huge. And um, this is part of what led Dave and I to calling our friend Josh to go over Wilco's entire discography back in, I believe that was episode 17, October of last year. So uh, definitely check out Star Wars where we'll play Pickled Ginger here once we get through these picks. Okay, so the album I have is by the Canadian rock institution, The Tragically Hip. The album is called Now for Plan A, and the song is going to be the lead-off track from the album at Transformation. So the Tragically Hip, um, I may have mentioned them a few times on this podcast, never went too deep. One of my favorite bands of all time, and they sadly had to come to an end in 2017 when uh, their frontman, Gordon Downey, he was diagnosed with the inoperable brain tumor in 2016, still went on an absolutely incredible summer tour in 2016, which is covered in the documentary Long Time Running on Netflix, which you should absolutely watch. Just don't expect to have dry eyes when you are watching it. So, but before all of that happened, in 2009, the Tragically Hip released an album called We Are the Same. It was really, really, really bad. This was largely because it was produced by the Canadian super producer and... Botox, Vince Neil, stand in Bob Rock. Metallica fans really hate Bob Rock. Tragically Hip fans hate Bob Rock. This was a horrendous, overproduced, really, really bad album. And if you really want to know how I feel about it, I used to write for a, a rock website called Coke Machine Glow. One word. We haven't existed since the end of 2015, but the archives are still up there. I have a review of a We Are the Same up on Coke Machine Glow. I also had a review of the album that came after it, being Now for Plan A, Total Return to Form, 
excellent record, very warm. I still listen to it often. This was the record that uh, brought me back into the fold saying, whoops, we screwed up. We apologize. Baby, come back to us. So now we're going to listen to At Transformation of Now for Plan A. So my second pick here is from the artist Gil Scott Heron off of his 2010 release. I believe this was his last record, I'm New Here. The song that we're going to listen to eventually is called I'm New Here, the title track, which was written by Bill Callahan, which is a BTP fave. Uh, so Gil Scott Heron, so he spent a lot of time in prison between his 1994 record Spirits and his 2010 record I'm New Here. And this record was the makeup sex of makeup sex following 15 years in the wilderness, wandering around, having really relatively no career, being uh, arrested for drug possession, and uh, really just kind of derailing from a life and career standpoint. The album is a fusion between hip-hop, soul, folk, lots and lots of different uh, genres. You'll hear a lot of that here in the song that we're going to play. And in 2011, Jamie XX of the XX remade it into a phenomenal digital-inspired LP remix. Would definitely recommend you checking that out. I believe that's called We're New Here. So Gil Scott Heron, I'm New Here off of the album, the same title. Uh, this was my number five favorite record of 2010 and one that I revisited a couple of times in preparation for this episode and um, really, really, really loved it. It's a really haunting, just captivating type of record. Okay, so what I have, the next Makeup Sex record, is R.E.M.'s Accelerate. And the song is Living Well is the Best Revenge, lead-off track. So R.E.M. put out a record in 2004 called Around the Sun, which sucked as much as anything is possible to suck. It sounds like the disembodied voice of Michael Stipe just inserted over some producer fucking with a laptop. I mean, it's inexplicable how bad this album is because R.E.M. is one of my favorite bands of all time. They are discussed awesomely in the recent Adam Scott and Scott Aukerman podcast, Are You Talking R.E.M. Re-Me? Of course, they had the fantastically funny You Talking You Too to Me podcast they changed it from u2 to rem they like just about everything rem did and even they hate around the sun they kind of just rush through it peter buck hates it with the fury of a thousand suns on the other hand accelerate which came out in 2008 it sounds like rem it's catchy it's jangly mike mills has a lot of backing vocals which went completely missing on around the sun it is a return to form in every sense of the word. It gets it done in under 40 minutes, and it holds up. I listen to songs from Accelerate on a reasonably regular basis in my REM listening. So that is very much the makeup sex record after whatever the fuck around the sun was. So let's listen to Living Well is the Best Revenge. It's the first song in REM's Accelerate.
I did not become someone different that I did not want to be. But I'm new here. Will you show me around? No matter how far wrong you've gone, you can always turn around. Met a woman in a bar. Told her I was hard to get to know. And about impossible to forget. Said I had an ego on me. <laughs> Size of Texas. Well, I'm new here. And I forget. Does that mean big or small? much for hanging out with us here in episode 42 our second pandora fish episode covering the alpharetta through merriweather post shows from summer 2018 we hope you guys enjoyed this hope you enjoyed the overall jams and the songs that we picked off of them so just kind of recapping it briefly i'm not going to go through every song this will all go on our spotify playlist um but the august 3rd 2018 Carini. From Alpharetta, we took the theme Outcast with Organized Noise Productions and spun off a couple songs for you guys there. Um, in the next segment here, covering the Everything's Right from August 8th, 2018 in Camden, New Jersey, we focused on the Fish Tulsa Sound and uh, played a couple songs by J.J. Kale, Eric Clapton, and Dire Straits. We then moved to Raleigh, where we focused on the NICU from August 10th, 2018. And we focused on Yola Tango's Condo Fucks and their album Fuck Book. And we wrapped it up with the <laughs> we wrapped it up with the Piper from Meriwether Post Pavilion, August 12th, 2018, talking about makeup sex albums. And uh, so there's some great stuff in here for you guys. Hope you guys enjoy this. Um, playlist as you're making your way to Curveball. Just a reminder of our social media links. You can find us at Twitter and at underscore beyond the pond. Our Simplecast webpage, kind of just a clearinghouse for all the episodes. 
That's beyond the pond one word dot simplecast.fm. So on Spotify, we have the Beyond the Pond podcast song master playlist in which we try to uh, put as many songs as we can in Spotify up on our uh, in the episode to the playlist. Check out the Osiris Podcast Network at osirispod.com. Leave us a review in iTunes because we do indeed read them and it helps bump us up with regard to uh, the other billions of podcasts people are looking for on iTunes. Absolutely. And from a publishing standpoint, so you guys know this well, even though you're probably shocked to hear this. So this is a Thursday that you're getting this episode. Most of the time we release every other Tuesday, but we wanted to make sure you guys had something here before Curveball. So going forward, the next couple episodes, we've got two more to cover summer 2018. We'll have one that comes out the Tuesday a week after Curveball. So not immediately after Curveball. We're going to take a break after that uh, final show of Curveball, figure out what we want to cover, and then we'll have something for you guys that Tuesday right after, right before Dick's. And then Dick's will happen over Labor Day, and we'll do an episode the Tuesday after that, uh, the week after that. So a couple more coming for you guys here as we wrap up summer 2018. It's been a ton of fun going through this, trying to uh, really kind of pressure ourselves on a week-to-week basis to not only find a jam from an immediate show that just happened, but come up with a theme and come up with a bunch of songs. We really, uh, really thank you guys all for following along. It's been a lot of fun for us. Yeah, absolutely. To uh, any of the followers that we've picked up on our uh, Twitter feed over the past few weeks that we've kind of been covering the tour online, if this is your first episode of Beyond the Pond, thank you very much and welcome. And I know um, I'll be going to Curveball. I should be there for, get there Friday afternoon. So I'm going to be there for the Friday show and the Saturday show, seeing a half hour offsite. Unfortunately, life gets in the way. So I will not be there on Sunday. I'm going to make every effort to get to the Relics Osiris happy hour that Friday. So if you see me, probably wearing a Mets cap or a whaler's cap. Say hello. Love the chats and pond. But on that note, uh, like we always say, if you've gotten to this point, thank you very much. And if you have enjoyed the bands that we have played you other than Fish, it's very difficult to make it as a musician in the industry these days. It's one thing to stream music. But also, you should be out there buying vinyls. You should be buying concert tickets. You should be buying concert merchandise. Anything extra that you can do to give the bands that you love an extra buck because it's tough out there. But on that note, let us all come together. Maybe we'll come together at Curveball. Maybe we'll come together over an Alchemist beer or Fiddlehead that they're going to be serving in the beer tents at Curveball. We're going to join hands. We're going to put on some fish. And we're going to go beyond the pond. Grass.
in a snowstorm. Left my throat warm in the dorm room at the AU. We blew hay to athletes might cake you, but you must have been mistaken with them statements that you make, huh? Osiris. Oh,